Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, I'm Trini Kuznarek. I'm a sports host for NBC Sports Boston. I'm 43, and up until July, I was single and I loved it. <laughs> Wait, okay, do it again, but not newsy. Like, just like, hey, I'm. Did that sound newsy? Did it I have newsy. did I did I have an, did I have anchor voice? You had anchor voice. Okay. Hi, I'm Trini Kuznarek. I'm a sports host for NBC Sports Boston. I'm 43, and until July, in the middle of the pandemic, I was very happily single. Okay, perfect. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of my friend Trenny, who, as you heard, is a sports anchor in Boston. Trenny knows about baseball, football, all of the sports balls I like to ignore. Something has happened to Trenny over the past year, something that's changed her entire being and identity. At some point during our very isolated 2020, she figured out what it really meant to be a boyfriend person, or rather, a person with a boyfriend. Let me explain. When I was younger, in my 20s and 30s, I used to cast certain friends in a particular light, like so-and-so is such a boyfriend person. And by that, I meant a person who was always sort of orbiting a boyfriend, canceling plans with others, saying we a lot. You know, before I commit to anything on Friday, I should check to see what we might be doing. It was always clear that I, as this person's friend, was never going to be number one, even if it was obvious, to me at least, that the boyfriend was temporary and I was forever. One of the reasons Trenny and I probably got along so well when we met in our 30s was that she seemed to share my worldview. She resented the boyfriend people in the same way that I did. Can you define boyfriend person? A boyfriend person is someone who, you know, I guess another term for it would be like serial dater or serial monogamous. It's a person who has to have a boyfriend. And when they have that boyfriend, it is all in. It's not like I still do nights with the girls and I still hang out. It's like, nope, my boyfriend becomes the center of my universe. As I got older, I started to use that phrase more sparingly to describe friends because the people in my life began to stay with partners. They were fully committed and maybe got married. And the thing is, you're supposed to prioritize a life partner and your kids. It would be weird to be like, ugh, she's such a family person. But Trenny held on to her suspicion of boyfriend people. She worried about losing good friends to this delirium. And then, well, Trenny succumbed to it too. Or did she? 
Trini is from Wisconsin. She's tall and blonde and runs fast. She grew up around a lot of people who pursued traditional paths to marriage and family. It was like pretty Midwestern, middle class, like family of five, right? My parents got married young. They met when they were both working in a factory in like the early 70s. My mom was working in between, I think like her freshman and sophomore year of college and my dad never went to college and was working there and they fell in love and they were engaged in six months and married in another six. And they were 20 when they got married and they had me, my mom was 22 and you know, 11 months or something. My parents were always young and hip, but very in love. I never had a family where I was worried that like mom and dad weren't gonna stay together. They were loving with each other. They were affectionate, like openly physically affectionate with each other. But they also both had like separate lives. My dad went on hunting trips, you know, with his boys. By the way, hasn't gotten a deer since I was like two, but he goes hunting every year. Still to this day goes hunting every year. And my mom would go to like Vegas or Mexico with her girlfriends. When you hear people who, who have like an aversion to relationships or have like really dysfunctional relationships with men or women, I feel like a lot of times it's like, they've got daddy issues or mommy issues. Like I grew up in, for all intents and purposes, a really loving, supportive household. From a young age, Trenny is pretty driven. I used to play advertising executive while other girls were like playing with their Barbies and they were like having Ken and Barbie like marriage ceremonies, I was like mean business person who was like hands on her hips. We are gonna start a marketing company in our basement. As she gets older, her growing interest in sports and media puts her around a lot of men. But I was also around other very like-minded women. One of my best friends from college, Anne, who decided not to go to a career in broadcasting, she smartly went to law school and is now a very successful divorce attorney, but she's still not married and doesn't have children. And she's 43, almost 44. My friend Kelly, who was my college roommate, my senior year of college, she's 43, almost 44, not married, no children, owns her own home, is an executive producer for a television station in Milwaukee. So I was sort of surrounded by a lot of women who were kind of the same, where it was, we like to go out, we like to have fun, we do what we wanna do when we wanna do it, and it's like girl squad. And if you like hook up with a guy, cool, great, but no one was ever in like long-term serious relationships. And those friends of mine who did choose that path, I would say that in college, I grew apart from them a little bit because we were just doing two totally different things. Trenny has some boyfriends over the years, in college and in her 20s and 30s, but no one she's willing to give up much for. She dates a guy who's five years younger than her when she's in Milwaukee covering the Brewers. They ended for good a few years before she moves to Boston for a new job in 2012. She isn't even thinking about coming here and finding a boyfriend. And then I get introduced to this guy literally two weeks to the day from, like, moving to Boston. And we start a relationship right away. This is when I reacquainted myself with Trenny. We'd met on a women in journalism panel years prior, and she'd reached out when she'd landed here. When I met her again, I was excited, but I was like, wait, she just got to Boston and she already has a boyfriend? By the time I was really hanging out with you, you were like, yeah, and I met some guy and then I met him and he's like this tall guy who looks like a Winkle boss. And I was like, this doesn't happen. You don't like move to Boston and meet a tall 
blonde man who's like athletic and just shows up like but my outsider perspective was like what the fuck and but even then i could tell you weren't a boyfriend person like you you seem just as sort of like yep yeah, he, he's here he was so sort of independent and liked to do his own thing that for me in my mind it worked perfectly i was like oh cool he like hardly ever wants to see me on the weekends by the way red flag people red flag <laughs> I can go run with my girlfriends on Saturday while he's playing, you know, rugby and doing his things. And then he goes out with his rugby friends at night and gets, like, drunk and then is, like, too hungover on Sunday to really do anything romantic. So we'll just, like, lay around and do whatever he wants. I was like, this is perfect. This is so great. I can still have my life. He can still have his. Over time, as your friend, of course, I sensed, like, I think, like, you seemed to be, like, you could start to be more open to partnership, however that looked. And it seemed to me that as you became more open to that, the relationship declined at some point. Do you want to just sort of characterize what he couldn't live up to at that point? By the time that we were together and like, it was like 35 to like 37 years old, I wasn't sure if I wanted kids or not. And I definitely tried to force things. I definitely tried, was like, okay, well on paper, this person is perfect. He's 6'4", he's attractive, he works in real estate finance, he's, he's got his shit together, you know, he likes to travel. Even though there were a lot of things that, when I look back now, I go, God, we were not compatible. Like, we just were not compatible. I had to laugh out loud when I listened to one of your podcasts with Brett. She's like, no number of blowjobs in the world are going to make a guy stay with you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, she's right. <laughs> and you can go and do all the things that you think are going to, like, make this person want to be a part of it. Like, I, I related to that sentiment, like, way more than I probably should have. Eventually, Trini's boyfriend breaks up with her. But he doesn't quite leave. He's still orbiting, kind of in the picture. There are a lot of maybes. At this point in her life, Trini doesn't know exactly what she wants. She knows she's not a boyfriend person, but part of her wouldn't mind having a partner. I remember walking down the street and seeing couples on a Sunday, like, sharing coffee and just going for a walk. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then I was like, no, that's so lame. I don't want to do that. I, I, would, I wouldn't like that. I'd be bored with it. I mean, it doesn't sound like you allowed yourself much room to have that desire. Like, there's that immediate squashing of, like, I don't want that traditional thing. I will not feel that loneliness. Like, I am better than that. One side of my brain was like, no, you don't need anyone. You're fine on your own. You're perfectly capable of being a single female. You can, like, I had looked into, like, freezing eggs or, like, adopting a child on my own. And then this other part of me was like, no, I don't want to do that alone. I have friends, but I want, like, a person to do that with. And it was like this tug of war. At this point, the post-breakup, will we or won't we, ambiguity, is causing Trini great anxiety. Her relationship officially ends for good when the guy tells her he'll be her date to an important event and then stands her up. This is rock bottom for Trini. I was having like massive depressive and anxiety episodes to the point where like I had to go back on medication. And that really was like the wake-up call for like, okay, whatever you're doing right now, Whatever you're trying to make work here is like trashing your body. It's not worth it anymore. Her response to being really single again is very trendy. 
I should tell you that my friend, who loves sports and running and competition, likes to win. She decides she's going to be the best single person ever. So after we broke up, I threw myself back into running and getting in shape and being like, fine, you know, I'll show you. I'll show everybody else. I don't need anyone. I was all about like going on vacations and training for marathons and hiking and doing all of these like, look at how strong and what a strong, you know, willed woman I am and what I can do. I don't need anybody to do this. This might be a good moment to bring up like in the face of true competition, in any real way, I lie down on the floor. But you are inherently someone who's like, yeah, I'll fucking nail this. So do you want to talk about that? Um, of course, you know, I'm thinking about the GPS, but like that your brain is like, no, I will fucking do it and I will excel at it. I have this thing where when I put a destination into a GPS, I want to beat the GPS. So if the GPS says it's going to take me 47 minutes, you bet your ass I'm getting there in 43. Like, there's no way I'm letting a machine beat me. Another time when I had broken up with this boyfriend from when I was like in my early 30s, he had attempted to climb Mount Rainier and wasn't able to because the conditions, it wasn't because he wasn't athletic enough, they just the conditions weren't right. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to climb Mount Rainier. And I did, and I summited it. And the, the joy I felt was, I mean, it was joyful because it was this amazing athletic accomplishment, but there was also this part of me that was like, huh, fuck you. You couldn't do it. The universe didn't align for you. The universe aligned for me. Clearly, I don't relate to this part of Trenny's story. But I do relate to her need to show the world how much she wasn't a boyfriend person over the years. I have to say, up until my 40s, I was like, hey, coupled people, don't you see? Don't you see what I've done alone? I carry the IKEA furniture by myself. I bought the world's tiniest condo alone in my 30s. I want my respect. As you were sort of hitting these bars, did you expect that acknowledgement? Like in these things of, I ran this race, I climbed this mountain of like, look at her go, like hashtag single lady. <laughs> Yeah, and like I expected that would like impress people, but at the end of the day, when it came down to it, most people were like, cool, like great, lots of people do great things. Like you're not curing cancer, congratulations. Especially when I moved to the East Coast, I was like, everybody out here runs marathons and climbs mountains. But I do feel like it was always like with you, like there would be this inner rage of like, why doesn't anyone see that my life is just as valid? And I do think that's really hard for women from like, I would say mid twenties through like mid to late thirties, when all of your friends, if you're the one person who isn't getting married, who isn't having children, and there's all these things celebrating, baby showers, wedding showers. Oh, I gotta go see this person because they just had a baby. Even your small milestones don't feel celebrated. So I think you, whether you realize it or not, you feel a little left behind. At one point I was like, can I just throw myself like a happy single lady party and register? Cause I want cool, plates and cups and bowls and like a blender. Why do I have to buy my, why do I have to buy my own blender? And, and also like we had one income, so we should get the blender. Yeah. One of the neighbor ladies from back in Wisconsin kept coming to me and telling me that the Lord would bring me a man and that if I was just patient, I too would find love. And I finally looked at her and I said, I'm perfectly happy on my own. I don't need the Lord to bring me anything. 
I'm old enough now where I'm like, I'm 42. You don't get to come in my face now and tell me like my life is incomplete because there's not a man. That is like something that, and quite frankly, men don't often have to deal with, but women do. And so you work up this defense mechanism. And that only, I think, puts up this barrier of I don't need somebody because I'm so tired of people telling me I need someone. And let me just say here, I know we're talking about expectations for women, primarily straight women, but this issue is universal. Many people get pressured to partner even when they don't want to. My sense is that a lot of coupled people can't imagine a single person feeling whole. Also, after celebrating literally everyone else, every single person of all genders deserves a blender. A very nice one. But here's the thing about doubling down on refusing to be a boyfriend person or any kind of partner person. What if you do meet someone you like? How can it not feel like a big sellout? Trenny's story continues when we come back. Okay, we're back. So before the pandemic hit, Trenny had begun to wonder if she should give dating another go to see if she could find some middle ground between absolute singledom and being the boyfriend person she never aspired to be. Something clicked when I turned 40, where I suddenly was like, okay, I've done this on my own now for the better part of the last 20 years. And it got to a point where it was like, I don't feel like I need someone, I want someone. And that was a huge change for me. When COVID-19 hits, Trenny initially gets worried about making it through the lockdowns alone. But she does it. She Zooms and takes walks with friends and meditates. She even goes back online and tries some outdoor dates. Nothing that interesting, but whatever. She does it. I should pause here and note that it's hard for someone like Trenny to date in Boston because she's kind of Boston famous. Being Boston famous, especially with sports fans, can bring out some not-so-great people. Guys who call her very bad names when she doesn't like them back. Guys who want to yell at her about her opinions— but this time she's like, you know what? It's literally a global pandemic. I'll do my best, and if it doesn't feel good, I'll stop. She embraces her new routine and browses when she feels like it. During pandemic, I would go on these walks every day because for the first time in my life, I was done with work at like 4.30. And so I'd throw on my jacket and I'd go for a walk. I'd put in my headphones, listen to love letters. And one day I was walking, and this is where being on TV is a good thing. And there was an older couple, like a middle-aged couple, standing next to the sail loft, because it was closed, having cocktails outside by the water. And this guy goes, hey, hey, aren't you the, that girl from TV? And I kind of stopped, and the wife you know, kind of hits him and says, she's got a name. And they said, hey, I'm Bill. And she said, hi, I'm Mo. And I said, hi, I'm Trenny. And he said, yeah, I listened to you on Jim and Marjorie. And I was like, oh, great. They're wonderful, aren't they? For all you non-Boston people, the Sail Loft is a bar on the harbor. Jim and Marjorie are two local radio hosts who have Trenny on often as a guest. And so I just started talking to them, and they were really lovely and nice, and they lived in the North End for decades, and they had this whole little group. And, you know, they said, hey, anytime you're, you walk by here, what's your favorite drink? We'll always have a cocktail in the cooler waiting for you next time we see you. And sure as shit, they did. I'd come by and I'd see them. And as the weather got nicer, it became more and more people. And then the restrictions lifted. 
And one day in July, I was walking back from a little pandemic walk. I had gone, I'd meditated down by the water and I was just kind of blissfully walking back. I had like workout shorts and like a Game of Thrones shirt on. And lo and behold, Bill is sitting outside at the sail loft, which is now open. And they're sitting out on like their patio with three other guys. And they stop and they're talking to me. And two of the guys are very talkative. And one of the guys, the youngest one is just kind of like, not saying much and he has his arms crossed and he kind of keeps looking at me and looking at me and, and my interpretation was oh i have ruined this guy's day he's probably like married with three kids in the suburbs and he just wants to be left alone but they kept insisting i sit down and so finally i did and i sat down and had a beer and then he started talking to me He was really thoughtful and kind and was asking me questions about myself and admitted that he, he's like, oh, Bill says you're on TV. I don't really watch TV. So, you know, forgive me. I don't know who you are. And I was like, that's great. That's perfect. And then we left and parted ways and didn't exchange numbers. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know. I thought he kind of liked me, but whatever. I guess he didn't. At this point, Trini's had a first date with a guy she's met on Hinge. And at the end of that first date, they talk about setting up a second date. But in the back of her mind, she can't stop thinking about the guy from the bar, whose name is Sean. So literally, on the walk home from her date, she walks by the sail loft to see if Sean is there with friends. And they were. And I sat down. And this time it was Mo, not Bill, that was there with Sean. And we exchanged numbers. And that night, he asked me to go on a date. And we went on a date on Thursday, July 9th. And we've been dating ever since. Was that the date where you guys walked to the restaurant and it was like you were kind of sweating? Oh my God, it was like a hundred, so poor guy is like, he's like 6'3", 6'4", 220 or something. And he's standing in the sun and he's like just dripping with sweat. And at this point, I have not eaten indoors. Like I just have been careful about that. And we get to the restaurant and he's like, and we get inside because you have to like check in at the hostess stand and it's like air conditioning. He's like, oh, it's so nice and cool in here. I'm like, um, I hope you don't mind, but I'm not really comfortable eating inside. He's like, no, no, it's fine. So we go, we sit outside and we're like chugging alcoholic, like vodka sodas because it's so hot. And I'm like, oh, great. Now we're going to get hammered. But the sun went down and the humidity lessened. And we ended up sitting on our first date for like four hours. And even we were, I swear to God, I don't know why this, I can't believe this happened, but it was such a good like barometer moment. A car drove by, slowed down and was like, Trey, Trent, love you, love you, have a good night. I was like, that's weird. And he's like, how much did you pay that guy to come by? And I was like, I didn't, I swear. I don't know who, to say, I have no idea who it was. I don't know if it was a friend. I don't know if it was just like somebody who recognized me from TV. But it did strike me, he was not phased by it in any way, shape, or form. It just didn't, like, he didn't care. That's when I kind of knew. I was like, oh, this guy's like different. Trenny and Sean start seeing each other exclusively pretty quickly. I mean, it's a pandemic, so once you kiss, you're kind of locked in. But also, they really like each other. And this, especially with few other distractions in her life, is a new thing for Trini to navigate. It's funny, like, after the first date, in my head, I was like, I might not ever need another first date again. But then after the second date, he was so nice and so attentive and so genuine. There was a part of me that was like, oh, there's got to be something wrong here. No one's this nice. No one, I actually like went away to the Cape that weekend because I was like, I can't go out with this guy a third night in a row or like three times in four nights. That's too much, too fast. I really like pulled back at first. Things are supposed to be hard and why is this easy? So 
how does it over like let's say the, the first few months how does it escalate and what changes well, I think it actually helped a little bit that I had had a, I had had a couple of trips planned. Please don't shame me in the comments, but I had gone home to see my family, and I think that actually was good because it gave me enough space to kind of start to navigate and figure out like, oh, I missed him when I was gone. Like I wanted to come home and see him. And when I was there, I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to text him. I wanted to be in communication with him. But it was also a healthy amount of communication because he's still working during pandemic and I was with my family. So it wasn't like it was like this constant FaceTiming or talking. It was just like a little bit each day, which kind of allowed, I think, for us to slow it down a little bit. I was like, oh, I want him to come home with me next summer. I want him to experience this. I want him to see what my life at home is like. And that was a real shift for me. It wasn't like, a, boy, I hope they'll want to. Like, I knew he'd want to. There was never any question. Like, I knew he would want to come home with me. I knew he would want to, like, meet my family. I knew he would want to be a part of my life because he had already made efforts to do that. And so it was so, it was, it didn't feel suffocating. It felt like a normal progression of something. A few weeks ago, or maybe it was more than a month ago at this point, you sent me a series of texts that were sort of revelatory about like, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess, I, again, I always like looked at, at love in sort of a different way. I always looked at it as you'd have to give up some of yourself. You'd have to change some of yourself. Like in previous relationships, I mean, I would like buy new outfits to hang out and watch a movie because I was so afraid of not looking perfect, not having makeup on, not being what someone expected. And I guess I just assumed that at least even for the first year, you'd have to like hide who you were from someone, that you had to put this perfect front forward. And I never understood why people wanted to spend so much time with someone. I was like, God, wouldn't you get bored of being around the same person all the time? Like, what do you talk about? What do you do? And it's like, well, if you really love someone, you don't have to talk about anything. Sometimes we just lay and watch TV or both read a book or the paper and just have coffee. But it's like this idea of having another person there that like you genuinely care about. I mean, quite candidly, I used to sort of measure like the success of a relationship based on like sex. Like, okay, are we having enough of it? Are we, am I withholding it off? And like, it was so much like a bargaining chip almost. But with him, it's like a shared experience. It's not just about that. Like it's, it's, everything is different. Everything is open and we communicate, we talk about everything and there's not, there's no judgment or a feeling of having to put, like, a mask on. Trini knows that her irritation with her coupled friends was palpable. It did not go unnoticed. We also talked about figuring out the sort of eye-rolling that happens when you're single and your friend is a boyfriend person or your friend even isn't a boyfriend person but meets a boyfriend or a partner in some way and you're like, okay, here we go. Has this reframed your perception of those life choices of other friends? Oh, 100%. I almost feel like being one of those people who, like, goes through therapy or, like, AA, and then they're told they have to, like, write letters of apology to people. 
like, dear Julia, I'm so sorry I was so judgmental of you at 23 when you found Ben. Like, you just found your person at 23 instead of 43. Dear Katie, now I get why you spent all that time with Nolan. I get it because you loved him and you wanted to be around him. I'm sorry that I, I, I judged their, their femaleness for lack of like, their independent femaleness for lack of like, it's like not even a real word, but that's, and that's what, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like it was a very judgmental place to come from without any true experience. And I would say I was never lucky enough to experience real, true, deep love before. And until I had had that experience, I didn't understand what you were going through. And I think that my reaction was maybe a little bit of jealousy you know, half jealousy and half just ignorance of not understanding and not knowing and only knowing what I knew, but that, you know, I'm glad that they're happy and they they didn't let my judgments get in the way of the decision they finally made. We talked a lot in the beginning about how it seemed that having a partner involved great compromise, like too much compromise. Do you still feel the same way about it? I mean, everything is a compromise, but if you think about it, being in a friendship is a compromise. Like, I think that might be where like my biggest reframing has happened is realizing that relationships aren't much different than anything else. If you and I can't get together one weekend, it's not like, oh, well that weekend doesn't work for you. We're not friends anymore. You know, there's like all this, like you just work together. You work to make it work. But wouldn't you also say that like, if you and I were taking a vacation together, you compromising for me or me compromising for you would not feel like a betrayal of fem- of feminism and our identities. We'd be like, oh, I'm just going to wait a week until she's done running her marathon or whatever. But like, there's something about the psychology of, well, I altered my plan for him. That's like, a, it used to be a weirder, more loaded thing. Yeah, I mean, that's I'd be lying if I said that those thoughts still don't enter my head. Sometimes if I make a plan for something, it's like, oh, well, I know Sean has to work on Sunday anyway, so maybe I'll see if so-and-so wants to go for a walk. But I do think, like anything, and you and I talked about this when it was very great advice when I said, oh my God, we already said I love you. Like, it feels like too soon, too early. And you were like, yeah, but I love you at three months is different than at five months. It is different than a a year and is different at five years. Like, we're still in like a new phase. I know that like I'm spending time with them now because it feels new and exciting, but in time, in time, like each, and even with each successive month, it gets easier and easier to kind of slip back into normal life and not worry that the relationship is gonna suffer. I will say that all of those years of truly focusing on friendships and career has paid off for Trenny, in that now with a partner, she can afford to do a little bit of cocooning with her boyfriend. She's great at her job, and her friends know she's there for them. She also now sort of sees that in all those years of identifying so hard as not a boyfriend person, she was undermining her goal. She was making it all about boyfriends. I want to tell Trenny that the strongest thing I've ever seen her do is allow herself to be loved like this. Sean is clearly with her, sees her, And for someone like her, and me, frankly, that can be wonderful, but also pretty brave. I give her way more credit for being vulnerable with love than for climbing Mount Rainier. I've gone through like years and years and years of therapy, and it it took some pretty intense therapy to like recognize that for a long time, 
I didn't allow myself to feel certain things because I saw them as weaknesses or deficiencies. But in time, you know, you learn, first of all, everyone operates differently and it's okay to want things and it's okay to need things. It's okay to need people. I get it. I mean, my sister Brett and my family and friends are everything to me. I will scream to the heavens that I need them. But sometimes admitting I could want a romantic partnership still feels like a character deficiency. But I don't think Trenny is deficient at all for finding someone who loves her right. All I feel is relief and a lot of happiness. It takes some people longer than others to be able to like truly be themselves and be whole. And I, I think that's what it is. I don't think it's so much that one is harder than the other, single, coupled, childless, or with children. I think they all present different challenges but that if you meet that challenge openly and honestly and from where you want to be, then that's like what's truly brave because you're being true to yourself. Thank you, Trenny, for telling your story. You're welcome, Meredith. I can't wait to see you in real life. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Love Letters is also an advice column, so send your love and relationship questions to loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. I burp a lot. Like, it's not the most attractive quality in a woman. I talk about, like, bowel movements all the time because I'm a runner and I have weird GI issues, so I'm, like, always, like, pooping and doing weird things. And, like, none of it phases Sean. None of it makes, like, he loves all of it. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.